Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Georgian trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! What up, what up? My name is Nick Ingvall, and this is the Sneaker History Podcast. For me, sneakers has never really been about the shoes. It's been about the people. Sneakers have been the connection to friends, business partners, unforgettable stories and memories, and opportunities that I could have never imagined. My goal has always been to create something that opens doors for others to find ways to do something they're passionate about for a living. If you're already a member of the Sneaker History Discord, you know how great the community we have is. It's so much more than sneakers. When someone needs some help getting through a tough time, the community is there. When someone in the community drops a new product line or publishes their first YouTube video, everyone is quick to support. That's why this year we'll be launching a series of new podcasts directly from the community. The first is a Formula One-focused podcast hosted by myself, Rohit Malhotra, and Todd Yates, where we hope to make becoming an F1 fan a little easier and give you a better understanding of the sport whether you're just starting to watch or a longtime fan, you can check it out at exhaustnotes.fm or linked in the description for this episode. As always, thank you for supporting Sneaker History, and don't forget to tell someone you like their kicks today. Hey everyone, this is Nick Engvall, and today I want to share something I was recently asked to be a part of that was really a bucket list moment for me. For the 50th anniversary of the Nike Cortez, NPR did a segment on their show Morning Edition and interviewed me alongside legends like Mr. Cartoon, Estevan Oriel, Alexis Quintero, and my brother Miles Coltrane. The Cortez is one of the first sneakers I bought when I started working at age 13, and I've had a pair in my closet every day since. I hope you enjoy the episode, and make sure you hit the link in the description for the full oral history of the Nike Cortez. And shout out to Sean and the rest of the NPR team for allowing me to be a part of this important story. The Nike Cortez made its debut 50 years ago in 1972. What is the Cortez, you say? A shoe, a very special shoe with two distinct features, a giant Nike swoosh on the side and a herringbone pattern outsole, which looks almost like teeth on the bottom. The Cortez was so popular when it first came out, the company had a hard time keeping it in stock. And Pierre Sean Saldana takes a look at how the shoe ended up making a huge cultural footprint. In the five decades since it's been around, more than 700 versions of the Cortez have been released. An early version can be seen in the movie Forrest Gump. That day, for no particular reason, I decided to go for a little run. Whitney Houston wore them when she sang the national anthem at the Super Bowl in 1991. And they've even been referenced in one of Kendrick Lamar's most infamous verses. And I ain't rocking no more designer white tees and Nike Cortez, this red Corvette. The story of the Cortez starts in 1967 when Nike went under the name Blue Ribbon Sports. Originally, the shoe was supposed to be called the Aztec, themed for the 1968 Olympics held in Mexico. But Adidas had already released a track shoe called the Azteca Gold and threatened to sue because they were so similar. 
This is all chronicled in Shoe Dog, the 2016 memoir by Phil Knight, Nike's co-founder. In response, Blue Ribbon offered up a new name, Cortez, as in Hernan Cortez, the conquistador who conquered the Aztecs, which is a strange choice for a name, says Kevin Terciano, history professor at UCLA. It seems anachronistic to name an athletic shoe after someone who, you know, epitomizes conquest and violence. During the conquest of the Aztecs, nearly half of the indigenous population died during a smallpox epidemic, and their capital city of Tenochtitlan fell after being cut off from food and water. I estimate that about 100,000 people died of disease, starvation, or warfare. Immediately upon release, the Cortez was a hit, becoming the company's best-selling shoe for several years afterward. And in 1972, Blue Urban Sports changed its name to Nike and released the Cortez that we know today. The Cortez is Nike's first true, like, multicultural, multifaceted sneaker. Nick Ingvall is host of the Sneaker History Podcast. He says the Cortez is important for how widely it's been embraced. People would throw out the OG term a lot, but, like, the Cortez is that, right? The Cortez is, is like, been there, done that. You could look to the Cortez and see... The subcultures that are across multiple different places, the running, like it just, it's lived so many lives. And in the 1980s, the Cortez began to take on a new association, Southern California. The most popular ambassador of the shoe was perhaps Eazy-E, whose Cortezes were part of his gangster rap image. And like his music, the Cortez became synonymous with the streets of Los Angeles during the crack epidemic. In those 80s and 90s, a lot of the people from the hood were wearing Cortezes. If you wore them to school, they'd tell you go home and change your shoes because they were uh, gang-related. Esteban Oriol is a photographer who documents life and culture in Los Angeles. He says the shoe was especially attractive for Latino gangs. Back then, you knew exactly who was a gang member. If they had Cortezes, baggy 501s, a white t-shirt on, you knew. The Cortez let the world know that you weren't to be messed with. And this embrace of the shoe amongst Latinos was broader than just gangs. The Cortez became an essential part of Chicano streetwear. Everybody always wanted, like, when they were going out for the night of the weekend to wear your best 501, you know, you sit there and you iron them and crease them, starch them, and then, you know, you do the same with a T-shirt. You pull out a brand new pair of Cortezes. And making sure your Cortezes looked good mattered. If you didn't buy a brand new pair, then you scrubbed them with, like, a toothbrush and some soap and water. We'd always make sure we clean the soles, the white part, and the, the Nike swoosh, and you were hitting the streets. The shoe named after a conquistador has become something important to the descendants of the people he conquered. On paper, the name origin of the Nike Cortez could make it a perfect candidate for outrage. But it isn't, in part because it isn't widely known. We hadn't thought that deep into it until I sat down to design it. And I looked up dude, and I was like, uh... Yeah, that guy wasn't great. Mark Machado, more popularly known as Mr. Cartoon, is a tattoo and graffiti artist who started designing Cortezes with Nike in the 2000s. He grew up wearing the shoe. Finding out the shoe's name origin and considering the history behind it didn't really change what it meant for him, because... Regardless, we are a result of that. So that is our heritage. Most uh, Latino people uh, go back and there's a Spaniard there. 
For one of his designs, Cartoon removed the Nike logo and replaced it with the head of an Aztec warrior with some European features. It's meant to celebrate the group of people who emerged out of colonization. I wanted to put uh, Chicano on the side of the shoe, which is like born in this land, yet influenced by this other land. So it's that mix that I put on the side. That's a heavy thing for a shoe, you know. It was just really about um, heritage and uh, including the natives. These days, the shoe brings out feelings of reverence and nostalgia. Alexis Quintero is a designer and creative from East L.A. It's really crazy how, like, my people and, and, like, growing up in East L.A., like, they literally took that shoe and made it their own, and they made it so powerful. Like, we know when we see anyone with that shoe not to mess with them. And that's power, and that's true power. Growing up, she didn't really wear Cortezes. But as times have changed, the shoe's remained popular, and it's become embraced by a new generation. These days, Quintero owns one pair of Cortezes, a collaboration with Japanese fashion label Comme de Garçon. It combined her love of high fashion with her upbringing. They made a Cortez that has like a Cortez leather upper black and white. And then they made a huge platform on the bottom. And for me, that shoe is so important to me because it's like this Japanese brand that I really love that's so far from where I grew up. But the upper has who I am, you know, so it's kind of like me in a shoe. And I represent a lot with that because it's like no matter where I go in my life and and what I do, like that's always who I am. In many ways, the Nike Cortez is an example of how dynamic cultural symbols can be. It's a shoe named after a conquistador, but nobody really thinks about that. What they think about are the shoe's iconic moments, or the past, or the communities they grew up in. Sean Saldana, NPR News. Hey everyone, this is Nick again. Before you take off, do us a solid and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Give us a rating on Spotify or Amazon Music. And make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel because we have even more content coming for you in 2022. Speaking of new content, we have an amazing community of sneaker enthusiasts that hang out in the Sneaker History Discord on a daily basis. While sneakers is the connection point that brought us all together, we've all discovered countless shared passions we have in common with other people within the community. We recently launched the first of a handful of new podcasts that will be coming directly from our sneaker history community. We'll get into the details for those in a future episode, but I'm excited to share that the Exhaust Notes podcast is now live. This is a show about the world of cars, racing, and other automotive-related topics. If you're a fan of Formula One, Formula Drift, cars and coffee, or you're just a weirdo like me that enjoys the smell of gasoline, I think you'll enjoy this one. If you do, add Exhaust Notes to your subscribe list so you'll be updated when we drop future episodes. As always, thank you for supporting Sneaker History, and don't forget to tell someone you like their kicks today. Peace. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.